Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 3, 7 to 13. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of, of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages for God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through the faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of God. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. My name is uh, Jer. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the shore. And uh, if you are new here, welcome. So great to have you. Um, I'm just getting my clock here going so we can stick tight because we got all the kids in here this morning. If you haven't noticed, we didn't release them. Uh, They're here uh, with us, and it's so great to have the whole family of God together. We'll talk about that. But if you're new here, we're we're in the book of Ephesians. We're just entering into uh, kind of the midsection of chapter 3, as Des just so greatly read for us. And, And we learned last week, this is a tangent kind of a tangent message, a tangent, uh, second part anyways, of a tangent story from our crazy Uncle Paul. And uh, Paul shared with us last week, uh, verses one through six, and he talked about kind of three main points that I hit, and one one was a prisoner, that we're prisoners for Christ. We're prisoners of someone or something always, but we want to be prisoners for him. And secondly, we learned that the revelation has been given to us by the word of God through the apostles and the prophets. And also that the, the mystery, the, the mystery is revealed. The mystery of God's plan has been revealed to us, and we see that in the scriptures. And then today, we're going to hit the remainder of that message, and that is uh, verses 7 through 13 that, that Des read for us already. And uh, I'm go- there's going to be four points for us this morning, four points, so if you have notes, you can follow along. Uh, the last point I want to spend a little more, more time on, and that last point is the church. Us is the church. And so let me pray once again, and then we'll jump into it this morning. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much already for your just amazing grace. And as we sung, you're so good. You're so good that you paid our sin penalty, that you saved us from death, and you gave us life. Jesus, there, there will never be enough years to, to say thank you. And so today, this morning, again, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. And I thank you for this family. I thank you for the kids here. And I thank you for the visitors that have come in to join us this morning. And I pray, Jesus, that each one of us, myself included, Lord, waken us. Awaken us to a greater understanding of who you are, what you have done for us in this mysterious plan that you've revealed now to us through your word of God. Open our hearts to it and help us be prisoners of it, Jesus. And I pray this in your name, amen. 
Well, take a look at verse seven again with me. Uh, It's on the screen there. It says, of this gospel, of this gospel, this gospel, then, then what was proclaimed all the way through the first two chapters and the beginning portion of chapter three, this gospel is kind of what I've been talking about already, that we're prisoners of it, that, that there's no more hostility between you and I. There's no more hostility between me and God. There's no more hostility in the inner man. There's, there's now no more separation. God is with us. He's indwelt us with his Holy Spirit. He sealed us as we saw in chapter one. He sealed us as a guarantee for the inheritance that we, we have in him. He, God the Father sent his son to shed his blood and shed his sacri- uh, sacrifice for us so that we might receive the gift of grace and life. This is the story. This is of this gospel. Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister. Last week he said, a prisoner. This week he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, again, by the working of his power. So my first point for this morning is prisoner to minister. Prisoner to minister. So it's kind of a a carryover from last week, uh, but we are all prisoners to someone or something. Every one of us. Whether you're a little child here drawing and coloring, or you're here as an adult listening in. You are a prisoner to something or someone. Every one of us are. And we've been born into that. Like right from birth, we were born into a prison sentence. And that prison sentence essentially is our heart's disposition. Like what what is your heart drawing you towards? What is it telling you to do? And that we are a prisoner to our heart. We're also a prisoner to our environment and to the nature and the, the nature around us. Like we started off this life by crawling, right? Well, we didn't start off by crawling. We just sat there, right? When my kids were young, I I loved that stage. They just sat there and I would poke them and just to work on their ab, work on their core. Core is really important, right? And so I just poked them and then they'd start tipping and then they'd recover and I was like, yes. And then I'd poke them the other way and then they're and then every once in a while they would fall over and it was great. It was a lot of fun for me. It was my entertainment. But I was, it was, there was a hidden motivation. I was, I was do, developing the core, right? Developing the core system. Then I'd push them backwards and then try it out when you have little kids. Sorry, kids. But you're going to get pushed today a little bit by your dad and mom. It's a lot of fun. But you start off crawling, walking, running, and then maybe even swimming or biking. You question things and you discover all these things around us. But all along in this journey, you are creating laws and covenants, and you have these expectations based on your heart, your heart's disposition. And it's played out. When people meet that expectation, you're like, this is the best day ever. But when people don't meet that expectation of your heart's disposition, these laws that you've set up, these covenants that you set up, you have a tantrum, right? And there's people in this room that will have tantrums, I'm sure, over the next 20 minutes. But that's okay, right? We also, as adults, we have tantrums. We have things that that upset us. And what that is doing is it's revealing your heart's disposition of what kingdom you are serving the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. See, we will say when it's the kingdom of self, we set these rules and covenants that we imprison ourselves to 
and we are prideful in them. Like we'll say words like, I did this. I made this. I accomplished this. I discovered this. I created this. I want this. I will do this. Right, so within the persona of prisoner, we become the minister, the proclaimer, the proclaimer of what we surrender our lives to. Like when you become a prisoner of the self, you will always and also become a minister of the self. You will proclaim what is best for you. Like we all get this, like when you you first learned how to ride a bike, and you kids, listen up, when you rode a bike the very first time, what did you do? You told everybody, right? You were the minister of the bike. You told everybody how to ride it. This is what I do. I'm a bike rider now. When you learned how to swim, same kind of thing. I can do it. I can hold my breath underwater. I'm a swimmer now. I'm a minister of whatever this is. And the same thing when we graduate high school or when we uh, go on and get our first adult job, right? I was not a minister of my very first job. I used to ride a Dickie D bike and sell ice cream. You're the first people I've told, all right? All right, I was not a minister of that job, but when I, when I, became, when I liked my job, when it served my self-kingdom, I became a minister of it. I'm a proclaimer of the things. You will find yourself filled with pride and self-glory, looking to the needs of yourself rather than the needs of others. Like, this is what we do, right? Like, when you're sick, are you most inclined to care for other people when you're sick? No, you're about you, right? When you're hurting, when you're suffering, you're about you. When, you, when, when this thing comes over you, you, we're about ourselves. It's all about my kingdom first. And this is the mantra of our day, right? We're in an interesting time, and the mantra of our day sounds very similar to what God has left us with. Like the mantra of our day is, we need to do our part, and we need to love each other. We need to love our neighbor, right? This is the mantra of the day. You're going to hear it on the radio. You hear, see it on TV. You're going to hear it in the news. You hear this mantra everywhere. We need to do our part, and we need to love our neighbor. See, the problem is when the world rips something from the Lord— it always falls short. It always falls short because it has a hidden motivation and agenda, just like you and I do, right? It's missing the greater picture. See, the the Lord said, yes, love your neighbor. That's a great, great line. We need to do our part by loving our neighbor. Exactly, 100%. But the problem is this world is turning in, vilifying anybody that does not live out that mantra. And now you're the enemy, And the crazy thing is, God says the same things. He gives us these two commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, but also love your enemy. Love your enemy. See, the world has forgotten the rest of the message of the Lord that he left with us, to love our enemy. See, in our fallen state of our personhood, we look to ourselves and our wants, our needs, our desires. It is a self-righteous, legalistic, prideful life that we all still live in or have literally to battle against every single day. Like Paul in this tangent here in verse 7 is awakening us, I hope anyways, he's awakening us to this kingdom of God. 
this kingdom of God that actually does things differently than the kingdom of self. See, the kingdom of God, this new kingdom, is one of thankfulness. It's one of humility. It's one of selflessness. It's one of actually looking at your neighbor and thinking more highly of them. More highly of them than yourself. That's not the mantra of today, but that's the mantra of the scriptures. See, Paul used words in this verse like, I was made, grace was given me of this amazing gospel. It was a gift. See, Paul has become a minister of Jesus Christ and what he has done, not a minister of what Paul has done any longer. See, friends, we will have many opportunities today to be ministers of God's kingdom rather than ours. My encouragement to you as we leave this gym See who you can minister to today. What are you going to minister about? That's another question you can talk. Talk with your families around the dinner table or lunch today. What is shaping you? Like, what are you most inclined to share about? Is it God's kingdom or is it your self-kingdom? And that leads us to the second point. My second point this morning is humility in verse eight. Check it out in verse eight. It says, to me, to Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, Paul calls himself the least of these because of his past story, right? Like he was a persecutor of the church. He, he killed Christians. He went after Christians and killed them, literally murdering them because of his Mantra, his prisonhood, his ministry was to kill Christians, to stop this word of Christ to continue on. That was, he was ministering to it, and then he was transformed into this new person, this new way of life in this new kingdom. Can you imagine for a second, though? Can you imagine for a second, like, if someone were to murder one of your friends or your family members? Like, murder them and then you invite that person into your home. Can you imagine that for a moment? Like we live in a culture and a society that we don't have a lot of that. Like we're far from this, but yet in our, in our world, it's all over the place. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about two people came like instantly into my mind. Well, number one, well, three, I'll give you the first one. Obviously, Paul. Paul was given this gift. Paul was given this gift. He was murdering, he, 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 he was holding the cloaks of the ones that were throwing stones at Stephen, one of Jesus' disciples, killing him, and he was in appro- approval of it. You can see this in the book of Acts, but he was literally standing there holding the cloaks, encouraging what was going on. And then he was transformed, and Ananias invited him into his home. That's crazy. Like the ministry of grace in that moment is just unbelievable. So Paul experienced this, but the two people I thought about right away was, and maybe you've heard of these people, but Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Like missionaries to Uganda, like, uh, or Ecuador, sorry, <clears throat> Ecuador. So Jim, and El- Jim was this Bible school student, him and his buddies, they studied the scriptures because they had a, just a desire to go out into the unreached people groups. 
And man, I can't wait for these little ones to grow up. Maybe some of these will be sent out from this ministry to go and minister to the outreach, unreached people groups, that there's still like thousands of unreached people on this planet. And maybe some of these kids will be those people that we send out and we can celebrate with. But Jim and his buddies from Bible school, they all got the, these lovely ladies, they married, and then they went off into the field in Ecuador to this tribe that literally lived imprisonment and ministers of murder. Like that was their slave master is murder. And so when this tribe people, when they, when they did life and someone wronged them, they would literally spear them. They would spear them to death. And so that was the people that Jim and his wife and, and others were going to minister to. And they began to make contact. And it was, it was a really cool, like, cool, cool part of the story. They're, they're making contact. They're beginning to start to learn language and, and all these different things. And then all of a sudden, something t- horrible takes place. Where the men of this tribe speared Jim and his friends to death. And they never returned to base camp. That could have been the end of the story, and we would have been totally fine with that. But the crazy, glorious grace of the story is that Elizabeth, his wife, continued on the mission with her young daughter, and the very men that speared her husband and the father came to Christ. She welcomed in the murderer. She welcomed in, and he became a Christian. He became an adopted child. They were brother and sister now. Another person that I thought of right away was uh, Corey Tenboom. I remember reading one of her books uh, a couple years ago, and this story has never left my mind. But uh, she, was, uh, she, she was held in a Nazi concentration camp, her and her sister, for many years. And her sister actually died in the concentration camp. The, the guards were horrible. And uh, Corey then, upon release, was able to go out and be a minister, a prisoner for Christ, to minister the good news of Jesus all around the world, and to write books and so on. And one of these times that she went, she was uh, in a stage like this, and she was proclaiming the good news of the gospel, sharing her story. And afterwards, people would come up to her and pray, for, pray with her and pray, get prayer, prayer for, from her, and, and I'm sure different things, and just just wanted to have more time with Corey. And then there was this one moment that this man started walking towards her and she instantly froze. This man was one of the guards in the concentration camps. And she froze with fear and trembling and she was just overwhelmed with this. She couldn't even move and she, she was telling the story and this man just kept getting closer and closer and she didn't know what to do. All these memories were coming back into her, just this horrible event that took place in her life. And this man got up to her close enough and he just reached out his hand. He said, your God forgave me. Will you forgive me? Corey responded in her mind with, how could I ever hold back the forgiveness that I've been given? And she grabbed his hand and clutched it like a sister would a brother and said, you're forgiven.
Paul, like Elizabeth and Corey, the least, the least of these have been given a gracious gift to not only become prisoners for Jesus, but ministers and preachers of his glorious grace. We too have been given this type of love. Each of us, friends, each of us have lied, have murdered, have committed adultery against the holy God and his glorious grace has forgiven you. It's right there for you. That's how Paul ex explains it in, in chapter one. He said, this is nothing but glorious grace. And in verse eight again, it says, this grace was given to me. The least of these. So we have prisoners to ministers. What is shaping you today? What is your identity? What identifies the kingdom that you serve? And then we have humility, laying your kingdoms to rest for the sake of God's kingdom. And third, here we have the plan. The plan of God. Verse nine, it says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Like the plan, the stewardship, the mystery of God has been said over and over and over through this, through this sermon series. This is gonna be my shortest point out of all four. It's gonna be, be gone in a second here. The plan is already here, and I'm wondering if we as the church, and I care for you enough to go, if someone comes to you and goes, what is the plan of God that you will be able to express it back to me? So what is the plan of God? We've been covering it over and over and over. I don't want you to miss it anymore. The plan of God is so simple. It's in, verse, in chapters one, five, and 10. It's in 2, 16, 18, 19, and 22. It's in chapter three, verse six. Paul is trying to nail this point down. I wanna nail it down here with this church, this family. That God is uniting us back into his eternal family. He's creating us holy and blameless. He's caused the separation and he's brought us near. He's asked us to turn to him. He's died on the cross for our sin. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit that we might be having eternal inheritance with him. This is the plan of God, that he wants to unite us as a family. And what better timing than to have all the kids in the room with us, to unite us as a family, to praise God together. This brings me to the final point of our text that I want to spend a bit more time on this morning, and that is the church. Look at verse 10. It says, so that, so that what? So that the very gospel I just proclaimed, the plan of the mystery of God, the, so that through, get this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, to the authorities in the heavenlies. Like, do you see what, is, what, is, what this is saying? That the church is the conduit of grace, conduit of the glorious grace of God. That we, the church, are called to go and share the manifold wisdom of God. Like the good news of Jesus to our friends and our neighbors. This is the whole plan of God. That the church will be the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenlies. Like before we get into this, we gotta change a habit, and that habit, and I, I fall into it all the time, the habit is, I'm going to church. And we need to stop saying that language, I'm going to church. 
We need to start saying the language, I'm a small member of a one body unit of a church. And if I miss that time to celebrate with the other members of the church, I'm hurting the whole church. I'm hurting my body by not being a part of it, by demembering that piece of the body. We need to be part of one another, and so we should rather say, like, I, a member of a church, a body, and together, we together make up the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And we have the richest, most amazing message to share with the church and to, to the community around us. And the bride of Christ we're going to hit in chapter 5, which I'm really excited about, but have been given the opportunity to shine the manifold wisdom to everyone around us. One of the core values uh, of this ministry that I, uh, like a, some of you have been giving, starting to hear this, you're going to hear this more in the members class if you want to come to the members class that's happening right after. Um, but the core values of this ministry are, are no different from anything that we see here. The first one that I want to really fan into flame here in this ministry is evangelism. Evangelism. And then discipleship and then community. Just three things, keeping it real simple. Evangelism, discipleship, community. So evangelism, when you hear that word, do you freak out a little bit? Like, do you go, you know what, I can't do that? Um, over the years of ministry that I've been a part of ministry, the very first thing that comes out of people's minds is, is fear. I'm fearful. And what are you fearful of? I'm fearful that I don't know the right answer, that I'll say something wrong, that I actually, when I share my faith with my friend, they're not, they're gonna bro- there's going to be a broken relationship now. So I'm fearful of losing a friend. Do you realize that the very one thing that the reason why we should evangelize and the reason why we don't evangelize is the same word? It's the same word. It's not fear. It's love. It's love. The reason why you should evangelize is because you love your neighbor. You're fulfilling the commandment of God. You're loving your neighbor. And the most loving thing you can do to your neighbor and your friend and the people around you is to share about Jesus. That's the most loving thing you can do. You know why the same word happens the flip side? Why you don't share is because you love yourself. You don't love your neighbor. You hate them if you don't share the good news of Jesus Christ. You love yourself in that moment. You're not fearful. You love yourself. You love your comfort. This is the same word. The very reason why we should evangelize is the very reason why we don't. It's just the love is on something else. The love is on your self-kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. Like think of it this way, give you a, a picture that will make a whole lot of sense, but it's horrible. If your neighbor's house is engulfed in flames, like, and you see you're outside clearly because you've got no smoke, you've got no, there's no, nothing around you. You're, you're in the fresh air. You're seeing everything that's happening because you've got clarity. And you're seeing your neighbors running around trying to find the front door, but they can't even open their eyes because of the smoke. It just burns their eyes and the heat is causing great confusion and they're burning alive. And you, as a neighbor, don't yell any instruction 
You don't, don't yell any, like go to the front door. This is the word, turn left. You, you say nothing. And some of us even turn away and ignore it. See, we as a local church have been given a calling. That calling is to make disciples of all nations. The calling is to share the good news of Jesus Christ that he's left us with. This is our story. This is part of our calling. The good news of Jesus may affect us so deeply that we actually fall in love with our neighbors and even our enemies, that we invite those in. I wanna do something uh, slightly different today. Uh, There's gonna be something on the screen here. Kids, you can follow along with your big brother, Jer. You can call me Uncle Jer. I don't care what you call me. Just, I love you guys, all the little kids and the high school kids. So turn your pages away or around. And on your blank page, I'm going to share a little bit of the story of the gospel. That we all might walk away from here seeing the truth of God's big timeline. This is actually the most uh, helpful thing for me as I, was, as I do these things. Is I try and write things out so that I can understand them and grasp them in a bigger picture. Okay, so we're going to go through the whole Bible in the next five minutes. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Okay, so some of these words, and this is, we're just going to show you here the timeline of God. Isn't, it, isn't technology amazing? All right, it looks like Star Wars TIE Fighter. All right, so you guys into Star Wars? So we have God outside of time. God is outside of time. He created time. So time does not matter to him. He's outside of it. He created it. So he then is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's eternal. Remember I used the word quorum deo last, last week? Quorum deo is essentially we're always under the presence and the face of God at all times. This is who he is. So this is the timeline. Do you guys remember? Call it out. What is the first thing that God did? Created, right? So number one, there's going to be a six-part lesson here. Creation. And who did he create? He, everyone. But who were the first two people? Josh? Adam and Eve. Look at, I'm a sweet, I, like, you guys have no idea the skills I got. All right, here we go. So we got Adam and Eve, and they were given kingship, priestly. They're priests in God's kingdom. They have dominion over the land to be fruitful and multiply and rule the heavens and earth, right? This, was their, this is why they were created, to rule over all things. They're also created in where? A garden, all right? So that's a nice big tree. We'll give us some fruit, all right? So that fruit tree they eat from, the one tree that they were not supposed to eat from, and they did. They disobeyed, bringing sin into, cre- into creation. And that's what this line represents. And that second line is the fall. The fall of creation. The little dot on that line there, that blip on the ti- timeline of uh, creation is really important one because before God, they needed to separate from God. God could not because he's perfectly holy 
God could not be with Adam and Eve any longer. Their sin separated themselves from God. That's what we talked about last couple weeks, right? Your sin separates yourself from God. It's you. It's not God wanting to separate. He's always there, right? You separate yourself from God. So that sin mark, so God literally needed to do something. And what he needed to do was to kill them. That would be the most just thing that he could have done. But instead, he was gracious, which means like Christmas, you, do, you get stuff that you don't deserve, right? You get stuff that you don't deserve. This is the grace of God. So he took an animal, and this is gonna be horrible. All right, you guys ready? That's, because the ax on his eyes, like it means he's dead now. So God slayed that animal, all right? So sorry kids, well, let's get some color in there. All right, so. So slayed that animal, there's a sacrifice, and we, need, we all the kids, we need to see this, right? That, I heard, what is that? That's a sheep or something. I don't know. It's an animal, and there's a little slit there. But God took that animal, slit its neck, shed its blood, a sacrifice for the, for the sin committed, and he clothed them. He clothed them with dead animal skin. So now they are literally dead. They have animalistic behavior from this point on. And how do animals think? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? Who am I sleeping with? animalistic behavior. That's all they think now. That's what we think, right? We're unsaved. We're thinking animalistically. So God sends some, some helpers. So, so the third part of the story, and this is the beginning of something really important, and that is initiation of redemption. Redemption, oops, Redemption simply means to be deemed free. You are now free. You're free from the penalty of sin. And he wants to initiate this. And so he starts this right from the fall and it continues on. And then he, so God sends different prophets and kings and judges and they all fail miserably. They all fail miserably. They don't live up to the standards that God given us by the Ten Commandments. So God in his glory and his grace does something amazing. He sends himself. He sends Jesus. See that? Little born of a virgin. Sends Jesus to live for us perfectly, the, the perfect life that we couldn't live. He lives for us. And he lives 33 years, roughly, and then something else takes place that crosses this timeline. And he says something really interesting. He says, I think, about nine different things on the cross, and one of them, that one of the most popular things that he's, Jesus says on the cross is, it is finished. What is finished? What's finished? Why would he say that? Why would he say it's finished? My life is finished? He's saying it's finished because he has now accomplished redemption. This is the fourth point of this story. Accomplished redemption. Sorry for my writing. I'm trying to go faster. And then right at this accomplished redemption point of the story, there's a dot on there because it's, it correlates with the, dot, the earlier dot at the fall. 
The dot of the fall now, your animalistic behavior, you're living as an animal, dead animal skin. When you come to Christ, what happens? You're in Christ, you're newborn, you're in him. New skin, is that skin dead or alive? It's alive, why? Because three days later, which we celebrate on Easter, is the tomb is empty. Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus goes another 40 days sharing his amazing story with other people and healing and, and miraculously revealing himself to all these other people. And that begins, number five, the mission of the church. This is where we are. The mission of the church. Jesus then ascends to heaven saying, don't worry, church. I won't leave you at your own. I will send who? I'll send the Holy Spirit to help you do this mission. What's the mission? To tell this story over and over and over again. It's the most glorious story you'll ever tell. And then Jesus says one day he's going to return, right? And that will be a fulfilled redemption. You can spell it out. And he's going to return back to his creation for his church, his bride, you and I, the faithful ones who have surrendered our lives to be prisoners and ministers and preachers to the good news of Jesus. Right? This is the story of creation. This is the story of our scripture. This is the story it's been telling that Jesus is the, the fulfiller of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the better prophet. Jesus is the better king. Jesus is the better judge. All things point to that part of the story. This is baptism. This is marriage. This is everything right here. It's everything. You give your life for the other. Marriage, you give your life in baptism. You live, you die, you rise again. It's expressing what Jesus has done in the words of baptism. We symbolize this. This is the story of creation. This is the story of a Christian. This is the story we ought to be sharing with our neighbor and our friends. It's the most glorious, gracious gift that we have been given, and all of us are giver or receivers of this. The problem is there's a whole bunch of people over here outside of the church that their destiny if they choose to pay for their own sin they then will have to give account to the Ten Commandments and no one can stand before a holy God and walk through those Ten Commandments and come out okay no one because you only need one of them and it says in James 2.10, I think it is, or 2.12, somewhere around there, it says, you break one of my laws, you've broken them all. You've broken them all. And one of them is don't lie. So this is the story of God, and, and I want to show you Ephesians. This is God the Father, his love for his people. He makes us holy and blameless through Jesus Christ he seals us with the Holy Spirit. Where we see at the end, close to the end of the story, he seals us with the Holy Spirit to do the mission, to build us up into a dwelling place, to cause no more hostility. There's no more sin. There's no more hostility over here at the fall. There's now right relationship with our Father. 
We're being built on the cornerstone of Christ through the apostles and the prophets teaching to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are the church. And so what are we going to do about it? Verse 11 in our text talks about an eternal purpose. This is the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose is to share the good news of Jesus and what he has done. In verse 12, it talks about now we have boldness and access and confidence in him because of what Jesus shed on the cross for us. Now we can boldly go to the Father. We can boldly go with confidence to the throne room of God. There's now right relationship. It's like a little child running to the Father. It's the best picture ever. And in verse 13, our last of our verses, it says, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope for the suffering that we suffer. For the suffering that we suffer is for your glory. Your glory that you would receive this amazing story of God and give your life to him. My prayer is that you'll be a prisoner and a minister of Jesus Christ, that you'll walk in humility as faithful members of the church, that you will live out the plan of God, that you will unite friends and family, not alienate them, and that we'll be the church together and live in community and disciple one another and care for one another's needs and pray for one another. Let's be the church. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your story, that you, your sovereign plan was to pay for the penalty of us so that we can live eternally with you. I pray for each one that are here today and maybe see this afterwards or whatever, however they hear it, Lord, would you just affect change? And for these little ones, would we, oh man, would, would we train them up to be men and women of God that would love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, that they would surrender their lives to you and that they will be sold out to be prisoners for your namesake and for your glory to the ends of the earth, whether it be in mission or in Ecuador. Lord, you're moving your people. And you've got us here in the North Shore right now, and so help us be faithful ministers of your gospel. And I pray this in your name. Amen.